Anderson, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus name. We're in Psalm 51 and uh, Psalm 51 is a good Psalm. It is a powerful Psalm. It is one of the most well-known Psalms. And the reason it is we're about to hit about two or three of David's big time Psalms. And this is one of them. And the reason it is so powerful, it's a powerful look into David as he looks inside himself and sees the sin in his life. And the main thing that's going on here has to do with the, with, with, it's the Psalm that was written after Nathan, the prophet, and this is found in second Samuel. After Nathan, the prophet came and told him the story about the man who had thousands and thousands of sheep and he wanted to have a banquet. And rather than getting one of his sheep for the banquet, he took uh, the sheep of a, of, a, of a man who only had one, and that sheep was a part of that family life. In fact, the sheep slept with the family, and uh, he took it and had a feast with that sheep's family. And, and David was outraged about it and said, bring me that man. And, and Nathan stuck his long bony finger at him and said, thou art the man. And, and then the child that he had with Bathsheba, after he killed her husband Uriah, died not long after childbirth. And the whole story of what happened there is a very powerful story of dealing with sin. And, and so this is an inward look by a man who knew God, who walked with God, who had a very close relationship with God. And even, even God said he's a man after his own heart. That type of man looking inwardly at his own sin and I think some really um, insightful, really important ideas uh, come out of this psalm and good ideas, good understanding and, and helpful understandings as we deal with our own um, mortality and we, as we deal with our own uh, sinfulness. It starts out, have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness. And, and uh, the, one of the great starts to a psalm he, he says, I, I need your mercy and I need your grace is getting what we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. And those are two important principles. Grace is we receive from God something that we absolutely could not earn on our own and we don't deserve it. Uh, mercy is getting is not getting what we actually do deserve. And they seem like two sides of the coin, and in many ways, they are two sides of a coin. God gives us his love, his affection, his joy, his peace, his goodness, his His Holy Spirit. He gives us his son as our Lord and our brother. He gives us all these things, and we absolutely have nothing in us that is deserving of that because of our, our wickedness and our sinfulness and the, and the sinfulness of our hearts. But also, on the other hand, what we do deserve is death. What we do deserve is, is wrath. What we do deserve is, is the destruction of God. 
uh, upon our lives because of our wickedness, because of our not godedness, our, our not being as God is and not being who we should be, how we were originally in Adam created to be, and that sin has been passed down from Adam to all generations. And God not doing to us what we deserve to have done to us is called mercy. And that's what David that's what David is asking for. He is asking for God's mercy. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. And let me tell you, uh, the grace that God gives us is as is powerful and it's wonderful and it's mighty. But the mercy that God provides that we don't even consider, the mercy that God gives us that we never even oftentimes even consider in our lives, what we actually really deserve and do not get is as great, if not greater, than the grace that we receive. And so he, he, he asked him to give it to us, but not because of his character. He asked for the mercy, not getting what he deserved, not because of David's character, because it's obviously marred. He, he's asking not to get what he deserves according to God's mercy and his loving kindness. He says, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Notice he calls them tender mercies because God's mercy is not one as a judge who, who gives mercy. I've seen many judges be, be very tender in their mercy, be very tender-hearted in giving mercy. In the area where I practice law, Tallapoosa County, and in the circuit that I practice in, there are three judges, circuit judges, and then there's one, there's one district judge and I found them to all be men of great character and uh, men of men of great minds, but they're also men of great wisdom and able to give mercy when mercy's possible and able to able to administer justice when it is needed. And this isn't it's not that's not a common thing throughout the world we live in. It's not a common thing throughout our nation, and it's not necessarily always a common thing even in our state, but to be able to understand the tenderness that comes from mercy and the ability for mercy to actually change lives is a powerful thing. And, and, and David asked for uh, God to give his tender mercies. He said, blot out my transgressions. The only thing that blots out our transgressions is the blood of Jesus. It, it pays for our sin. And so when he's asking for his transgressions or his not guidedness, remember that's, he, he's saying my, my not meeting uh, your standard, my not meeting the mark, me not being perfectly in line with your character and your will and your nature has made me a transgressor of you and your character and nature. That's a transgression. It's like trespassing on somebody else's property. We're, we have transgressed God's character, his law, and his nature. And the only way for that <clears throat> transgression to be paid for is for God to blot it out with the blood of Jesus. Now, in this day, it would have been the of uh, sheep and the blood of doves and the blood of cattle. But but today, we have a permanent fix to the problem. We're no longer treating the symptoms. We're, we're fixing the whole problem. And, and the way that problem has been fixed is through the finished work of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Notice he says, wash me in verse two, thoroughly from my iniquity. And what he's asking is, is, God to clean that out of his life, to change him. And that's so profound in the days I live and the people that I deal with, some of the people who really struggle with drug abuse. And, and in the Bible, in the New Testament, what the word for witchcraft is, 
which is the word we get pharmaceuticals from. And so drug abuse was a, a was a major problem even in the in Bible times. Not the same drugs, different drugs, different concoctions, but an issue. And it, it is such a painful thing, not just for the family and friends of those who are struggling with it, but really a painful thing for those who are actually in the midst of it. And uh, you can see that in their hearts and their lives, and you can see the uh, the anguish it causes them, and, and really a a, a a a a hopelessness that comes from them. And when they really desire that change, and and they go somewhere where they can work on that change, there's a desire to be washed of it totally, to have it totally out of their lives. And even in the midst of being in the grips of that abuse, you can see them yearning that wholeheartedly desiring to be set free from the uh, grips of those things. So this passage, this verse, it says, wash me thoroughly of my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I've seen that in a person who has just got through testing positive for something. And I have seen they just can't, they can't break free. Uh, it, it seems as if their their lives are hopeless, but it's not. There is hope. Jesus Christ does provide deliverance and there is hope for them. They just don't know it yet, and they yearn for it. And and this verse is is David yearning for that also. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and that's an important that's an important step. First, you got to know you got a problem, and and acknowledging your transgressions is the first step for God to cleanse you and make you whole. Uh, he says, and my sin is always before me. Notice he says, I acknowledge my transgressions. In fact. My sin, and boy, I, I've always quoted this 51.3. My sin is ever before. That's true of every person. Your sinfulness, the Holy Spirit, if you're born again, reveals it to you. And if you're not born again, the law of God written on a person's heart reveals to them all the time that their sin is ever before them and that they don't meet the standard and they're not up to the holiness of God. And so it just it just languishes there in front of them. And it's painful to look at. And it, it, it wants you to draw, it causes you to draw away from it. And yet you continue in it. And that's what David said. I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Now notice what he says against you and you only have I sinned. And boy, that is one of the key verses, one of the verses that I always think of. Because had he sinned against others, yeah, he'd sinned against you having him killed. He'd sinned against Bathsheba, although I think she was complicit in the matter. And he'd sinned against his nation, uh, the nation he was leading. And David had sinned against others. But see, the, the, the idea here in the understanding here, in fact, the deep understanding, the deep nugget of truth, the, the pearl that uh, you, you draw from this is, remember, earlier in the last few Psalms we've read many times, the whole earth, God created the heavens and the earth and all of it is his. And so if I sin against someone else, who are they? Well, they're gods. And so I've sinned against God. If I sin against my own self and I sin against my own flesh, who, who am I sinning against? Well, you say I'm sinning against myself. No, God has me. He's, I've been bought at a price. And so my sin is against him. And all sin is ultimately against God because everything that you do outside of his will, everything that is not God a part of your life, is a sin against that which he created. And uh, it's a painful understanding to have. It's a very painful understanding to have. He said, against you and you only have I sinned 
and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak. Notice he says, God's just in, in proclaiming me uh, unrighteous. He's just in proclaiming me guilty. He's just in pronouncing sentence on me, you, that you may uh, be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I brought forth iniquity <clears throat> and the sin of my, uh, and in sin, my mother conceived me. Notice, behold, I brought forth iniquity. It's, it emanates not from something that uh, I got into. It doesn't emanate from the things I'm around. It literally emanates from me. And I know I'm using drug addiction today as the example, but this is for all sin. And your sin does not come from your surroundings, although your surroundings can entice you to sin. The sin itself comes from the wickedness of your own heart. And David said, says, um, behold, I was brought forth in, in iniquity and in Sin, my mother conceived me. There, there, there's a lot of believers, especially young believers, but all believers uh, want to struggle with the idea of the rampantness of sin and that sin existed even in your mother's womb. Well, if you read the book of Hebrews, you understand that through one man, sin entered the world, and that is Adam, and that it was passed down to each generation. It's not passed down as you get a certain age. It's passed down literally through the genetics and the and the actual biomatter that has passed from one generation to the other. Sin is replete within our flesh, and we are conceived in our mother's womb. Not that our parents were sinful in conceiving us, although that happens too. We're in the conception process when we when the spark of light and life begins in our mother's womb. When that life begins there. It begins in sinfulness and understanding that and understanding that sin is so pervasive in your own heart, in your own mind, in your own life, and in, in humanity itself is a great understanding and also brings more glory to God because Jesus is, is able to something so pervasive, something so uh, terrible in, in one act and that giving his life on the cross, the second Adam meaning the second man to walk on the earth utterly sinless, Adam being the first before he sinned, and then Jesus being the second Adam. This is all in the book of Hebrews. Jesus being the second Adam, the second sinless man, in his selfless act of giving himself up on the cross and dying for the sin of the whole, in that act, he brought about life and put to death sin. He, he brought about a way for God to be merciful toward us because of his finished work. And so even though sin is so innate to our being, it's so pervasive in our, in our bodies and in our hearts and in our minds, Jesus has paid the price and that has been taken care. But now notice, behold, and, and <laughs> wow, look at that. You desire truth in the inward parts. Well, notice God desires that that sin not be pervasive and that sin not control. He says, you desire uh, truth in the inward parts and in the in, in, hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. Notice God places us in us a new human spirit and that new human spirit and the Holy Spirit begin to uh, draw out the poison of wickedness out of our lives and begins to teach us the ways of God. 
and the ways of truth and so that he makes himself known to us deep within our soul, deep within our heart and our mind. He says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. And that notice that's the payment of sin. It's the, it's, he says, you, when you clean me, you don't clean me outside in, you clean me inside out. And God's cleansing power starts in our heart and then it begins to be evident in the outward parts of our lives. And, and we become whiter than snow, not because of our own will and our own work, but because of him. Make me hear joy and gladness. Now notice, we, he's changed us from the hearing death and destruction. He says, make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice, that that the total despair and the feeling of total hopelessness and destruction. He says, out of that ash of pain and death, emanates and explodes joy and gladness that that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Meaning I don't, Lord, don't remember my sin against me anymore. Boy, that's what God does. That is the finished work of Jesus. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Notice Wow, that's that he's saying, God, you've been doing that in the past, and, and yet I still stumble and fall, and uh and and I want to have a clean heart. I want my heart to be cleansed by you and my heart to desire your will and not mine. He says, and I want my spirit to be steadfast and strong that I do not sin against you. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Notice David understood that the Holy Spirit was upon him. In fact, First uh, <clears throat> Samuel shows us when, when the prophet Samuel came to anoint uh, David as king of Israel at his father's house, at Jesse's house, he, the Bible says that the, the spirit of God came upon him and that it never left him. And David understood that the Holy Spirit was upon him in power and that he needed the Holy Spirit to lead and to guide him. And so also us, so also us. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. And notice there is great joy in God changing us. There's great joy in God God pushing us and renewing us and making us whole and complete. I think of many people in the church who hear God's word and they hear his truth in and, and, and our body and they hear it with such gladness and such excitement. And that gladness and excitement of hearing God's truth and God's word, the encouragement that comes from only, that is God, that is the process of restoring to us the joy of salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. And, and that's the joy of God, God giving us his truth, even though we don't deserve it and giving us his revelation, even though we have not sought it. And, and there's joy that comes from that. Then I will teach the trend. Notice it always happens. It always happens. I love it. Uh, when I'm talking to somebody, uh, I even talked to somebody yesterday and, uh, I had a massive drug problem. She had a massive, massive, massive drug problem. I'd been her attorney in several situations, both criminal and, and as far as child, her children were concerned. And she's beginning to get her children back and, and being, be able to keep them and take care of them. And she's been off drugs for a good long while. And the first step, the first, the next step after a person really gets their life on track is they always want to go back and teach others and help others through it. Because when you've come out of the pit, usually the first thing you want to do is look down into that pit and see if there's somebody else you can reach down and, and, and 
put a hand out to help them out of the pit. And that's what David is saying here. He says, then I'll teach the transgressors your ways and the sinners shall be converted to you. What he's saying is, I'm going to, I'm going to reach down and help others. And that, that is a truth that I see all the time. And you see it throughout scripture. Somebody's healed and Jesus says, just go to the priest and make sacrifice for your healing. And don't tell anyone. And what do they do? They go, go and make sacrifice for their healing and they just don't tell anybody. No, that's not what happens. They go and tell everybody. You know why? Because once you've experienced the goodness and the mercy of God, you can't keep your mouth shut. It's just hard to keep your mouth shut about that. And, uh, and that these people want to uh, experience God's best and they want others to. And once they've experienced and tasted of his goodness, they want others to taste it. Have you ever been sitting at the table and and got a dessert, and it was the best tasting dessert you ever had. And you first thing you want to do is not me. I just want to eat it all. I'm a little bit bigger than everybody else, and and anyway. But most people go, hey, you need to try this. That that same um, trait that is true of dessert is also true of the goodness of God. People uh, people when they taste the goodness of God, they want other people to taste it, and and it's really evident of the changed life. Uh, a person who does not really want or even care or even consider whether or not somebody else uh, tastes of his goodness or knows of his goodness. The people who are in that situation, oftentimes I wonder if they're, if they know him and not necessarily judgmentally, but just, I just wonder. And then sometimes whether or not they're in some struggle themselves because people who taste the goodness of God let others know and they want others to be a part. He says, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O oh God. And David genuinely needed that. He needed, he needed deliverance from the shame and the guilt that he had dealt with. The God of my salvation and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousnesses. And we, we really do need, and, and we really do desire to be shed of the guilt of our sin and, and the, the sin that's just directly related to somebody else and, is very hurtful to other people. You want to get shed of it the quickest, and yet it's oftentimes the hardest to get rid of. And David here, even in the midst of proclaiming all this goodness, he says, I have guilt of my bloodshed. The blood of someone else is on my hands. And, and that can be murder, and it definitely is murder, but it can be other things. You can destroy other person's life. You can destroy their reputation. You can destroy who they are. And at times for me, because I understand the power of that. I try my best to not destroy somebody's reputation or who they are because there is great guilt that goes along with that. Oh Lord, my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. Notice he's going to worship God. That is the result also of, of a life that is, is enjoying the goodness and the joy of God's salvation. He says, for you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You delight, you do not delight in burnt offerings. Notice David understands that God's desire is not that we give him things. Notice he understands that oftentimes people say, I come to church and I give money and I ought to be good. And God says, that's not what I want. He says, the sacrifices of God, notice the sacrifices that God wants is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. 
and a, a spirit that's broken by their sinfulness and a contrite heart that wants to see change, that's not despisable. And when I see that in people that I deal with on a regular basis, whether it be in church, or whether it be in my legal practice, when I see that, it's not despisable. It's beautiful. It's beautiful to see somebody with a broken and contrite heart, even one who is still in the grips of their sin and struggling with it. That broken and contrite heart is a heart that I know God can use. And David says it clearly. The sacrifice of God are a broken and contrite heart. He says, a, a broken spirit. These, O oh God, you will not despise. He says, do good in your good pleasure to Zion. He's asking God to act based off of his own promises and his own power and his own nature. He says, do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Meaning, God, your desire is to do good to us. And so, Father, we're asking for you to do that good to us in your nature and in your character and in your power. Then he says, build the walls of Jerusalem, meaning build around us <clears throat> walls that protect us from the work of iniquity that's natural to us. He says, then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness. Notice, I love that then you'll be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness. And that is a very, that's a very full statement there because the sacrifices of righteousness, what is righteousness? Righteousness is being right with God. How do we be, how are we righteous? By faith. So righteousness that comes by faith and, and the sacrifices of righteousness are the sacrifices we make as a result of our faith. And they are the works of righteousness. When you serve God, when you obey God, not by the law, but by faith, because you trust him, though you're doing a sacrifice of righteousness and you're bringing about power into the world and you're unleashing the goodness of God around you, he says, then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings, then they shall offer bulls on your altar and, and, and bulls represent the flesh. And so what he's saying is when we offer our flesh and we lay it there on your altar <clears throat> and we sacrifice righteousness, meaning we trust you and we obey what you say, that's when it's good. That is when it's the best. And I hope you've enjoyed Psalm 51. I, I love uh, Psalm 51. What a what a great psalm that is. 50, 53 is a, a, a psalm that I love. My, I just love it myself too. And we're just going to keep on going through the book of Psalms. We're well into the second triad, the second 50 psalms. And as we go, we'll keep meeting together and doing this. We're going to meet tomorrow and then we'll be Thursday and then we'll have Thursday night Bible study also. So I hope these, these Bible studies and I hope these times together in the morning and on Thursday evening are of great value to you. If they are, like and share. That's how we get it out. And if you'll just press like or press share, it'll help us push this to people who might need to hear it. Good morning. Got a day of meeting with several clients. And I hope for you, you have a busy day that God has prepared for you. Whatever he's prepared for you today. I pray that uh, you will do it with joy and peace and that you will do it in the righteousness that comes by faith. As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you. 
that he'll make his face to shine upon you and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus' name.